was was the pillar of simply God. You can be seated. I'm going to come to to verses here in a little bit. But the first pillar was simply God. I'm convinced in a world where plurality of religions and and plurality of, of how we define God, we have to be very careful that we don't water down God. I cannot, I will not uh, be accused of, of trying to blur the lines between what is right and what is false. I cannot tell you that anyone who worships something they call God is worshiping the one true God. I cannot stand and blur the lines of religions and tell you that it doesn't matter if you're Islamic, it doesn't matter if you're Hindu, that we all worship the same God. That simply is not true. Regardless of what society says, regardless of what other religious leaders have said, regardless of what political sides have said, there is only one God and he does not acquiesce nor bow to your desire, but we must know him. Now I'd be careful because I'll start preaching that sermon all over again and it's there. I'm glad for our media team who records it both in audio and video, so go back and listen to it. If you don't know how to find it, ask me, ask Brother Tim Harding, Brother Tom Harding, they'll get it for you. You need to know who God is. And the easiest understanding of who God is is that God, and and I'm going to have to preach a little bit of it, but God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. He knows everything, even before you do. He is all-powerful, and He is everywhere. Those mean He's the man. He has it all. There's no one beside him. There's no one in front of him. There's no one after him. He's God alone. And it is the the will and the desire of God. He can do whatever he wants to do. I know we get confused. I know that we like to put God in a box and we want to take this God that is everywhere at all times and knows all and we want to put him into human characteristics because we want to limit God. But listen, God does what he wants to do with or without you. We don't control him. We don't contain him. We don't make him move to our whims. There's a lot of things in this world I cannot explain. It, it cannot shake my faith because my faith is not in something that's like me. My faith is in God. And if I can't explain it, I don't know why we've lost two unborn children. I can't explain all of that. But that's God. And he says in his perfect will, in his perfect plan, he says whatever may happen, just know I'm still God. It doesn't shake him. It may shake us, but it doesn't shake him. Why is there evil in the world? Well, I could tell you about man's will and I could tell you about the decisions that mankind has made throughout the eons of history and I could tell you that we've messed up a lot of things and a lot of of times what we deal with is the consequences of us, not God. This God, he's incredible. 
we, we, we went on after that first pillar of God and who God is and how that God chose to reveal himself fully in Jesus Christ. God became flesh, became hu humanity, all human, all divine, walked among us as humanity. He hungered, but as God, Jesus could open up uh, heaven and just feed 5,000 with a few fishes and a few biscuits, if you will. As, as son, as humanity, Jesus thirsted, but as God, Jesus could look at that woman at the well and say I'm the water you drink of and never thirst again. As humanity Jesus walked on this earth and he had to sleep because he got tired but as God, as divine, Jesus could stand up on the bow of a boat and speak to the waves and say peace be still and they'd have to obey. On the cross it was not God that died it was the humanity that died. Then we talked about our second pillar Salvation. If we cannot bend God to our will, if we cannot, if we don't have the ability and, and, and we don't even have the privilege, it's just, it just doesn't happen. We don't make God what we want. We can't make salvation what we want. To put it very simply, you got to play by his rules. And, and at the end of the day, there's going to be this thing, this, this, this rapture, this trumpet, this throne of judgment. And Sister Kay, I'm probably really stepping on some untheological uh, lines. But at the end of the day, God's going to take his ball and he's going to go home because it's, it's his will, it's his rules. And if you didn't follow his rules, you're going to be left out in the cold. I can't define salvation to what I want it to be. I can't get all the religious bodies together in a room and say, let's make salvation what we think it ought to be. There ain't no council of Nicaea. There's no council we can get to. There's nothing that we can do to change what God said is right or wrong. So you got to make sure you know what salvation is. The third pillar we came across was the pillar of eternity. Because some people have an idea of God. Some people even have an idea of salvation. But they don't have a good idea of eternity. The movie got it wrong. All dogs don't go to heaven. And let me help you out, not all people will go to heaven. And so it is that only those that, that know who God is, that put their faith in Jesus Christ, that have, have allowed their lives to line up and align with what God says is salvation, only you have that privilege of stepping on that, that street of gold. It's not God's will that any should perish. It's God's will that all should come to repentance. So it's not God that's going to send you to hell, but it's going to be your own uh, uh, response. It's your own way that you live your life. And so if someone ends up for eternity in hell, they will only have themselves to blame. We've got to get eternity right because it is coming. Then we talked about worship. If you get God right, and you understand what it means for God to pick you up out of the miry clay of sin, place you on that solid rock and change you, and you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. There's a worship that wells up in our soul. And there's a fifth pillar that I want to get to today. And, and I, I, I can tell you right now, I don't know that I have a, a, a good rhyme or reason in, in some of the foundations that I chose and have chosen, and we've got a few more that are coming. I'll probably at the end of the day miss one or two that I could have preached on. But today I want to tell you about the fifth pillar that, of our foundation of our faith and that is holiness. Holiness. So many times, and in fact, I mean, 
I, I, I'm not a bait and switch kind of preacher, all right? You, you get what you get. You, I, I am who I am. If you come to the lighthouse, if you come to an apostolic Pentecostal church, holiness is something that you see. I've had people ask my wife and my daughter, you know, why is your hair long? Why, why Zoe, do you, do you wear dresses and skirts? You know, why? And, 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 and Zoe's got a pretty good answer. She'll say, well, because the Bible says so. There's a lot of what we might would call standards. But I want to tell you today, and hopefully through this, I can demystify holiness, that holiness is not about what you wear. It's not about what you do or don't do. It starts somewhere completely different. And I want to teach you about it. If God is omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent, those attributes of God, there is another attribute that God has. For 1 Peter 1.16, who's quoting from the Old Testament, and I'm going to quote just the back of it. It says, for I am holy. Before you think of holiness any other way, you better understand this. One of the attributes of God is God is holy. Psalms 22 and verse 3 says, Of God, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. It's Isaiah 57 and verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. It's Isaiah 6 and 3. It's what we just sung about. And it happens throughout the pages of Scripture that the angels call to one another and they echo that emphatic statement of who God is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the whole earth is full of His glory. It's Revelations 4.8 where it talks about the four living creatures with six wings full of eyes all around within and without and day and night they never cease to say here's the same thing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God is holy. Isaiah 43.15 let's use God's own words. God said I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. If you're going to define what holiness is, you cannot define holiness as, as uh, something necessarily that you do or wear or be or become. Holiness in its most simplest definition is this. Holiness is separation. Okay? Holiness is separation. And, and I'm going to get there in a little bit. It's being set apart. But before we talk about how you and I as Christians have been set apart, let's look how God has been set apart. Because the same definition that we apply to you and I as holiness, has to that same definition has to be uh, 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 described or applied to God. Are you with me? If God is holy and we should be holy, there cannot be two separate definitions for God and for man. Holiness is separation. God is the ultimate separated one. You ready for this? 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2. 
I'm going to go a little slower. I did not have a chance to get my notes to the media team. And so uh, I, I'm going to go a little slow so they can keep up. I want you to see this. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2. By the way, if you've got your Bible with you, this is the time you pull it out. Because one day somebody's going to ask you, what is holiness? What does it mean to be holy? Why? Why? This is where you got to go. Holiness means separation. And God is the ultimate separated one. And as the song we just sang is, are you ready? There is no one like him. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. He's the only one. Look at your neighbor and say he's the only one. He is separated from all others. He's separated from all other gods, if I could use that little G. He's separated from all the other gods. There is none like him. He is the ultimate separated one. He is holy. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11. Why don't you turn there with me? Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11. Here's what I just said, but here's the verse. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods, little G? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Awesome and glorious deeds and doing wonders. Psalms chapter 77 and verse 13 begins to flesh this out a little bit further. Remember we're talking about holiness as separation and God is the ultimate of the separated one. He says in Psalm 77 verse 13, your way O God is holy. What God is great like our God? Or Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 25. I'm walking down a list. See, too, too many times when we start talking about holiness, we go to what you should do or be. Uh, let's start here. Holiness. To whom then will you compare me? This is God speaking. That I should be like him, says the Holy One. It's a rhetorical question. You don't know the answer with the Hera? No one. There is no comparison to God. In fact, there's not even an opposite to God. You can't say that the opposite of God is Satan. That's not true. Satan's an angel that fell. God is not an angel. God is the creator. How about Revelation or, or, or Revelation chapter 15 and verse 4? Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. If holiness is separation, then God is separate from all others. In fact, let me just read to you Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is... Let me say it again. This is one of those verses you need to know. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is... And if you are one, you cannot be two. If you are one, you cannot be multiple. If you are one, there cannot be anything else. He alone is God. It's separation. It's being separated our holiness now let, let's talk about our holiness your holiness my holiness our holiness is this here's a great definition for you to understand what holiness is holiness is being separated unto God for his work and being separated from Satan the world and our flesh too many times we have a a a a a myoptic view, we have a, 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 a view that leans only one way. We think a view of holiness is being separated from the world and you forget that it means also being separated unto God. It goes both ways and I'm going to hit that here in a little bit. Of all the attributes of God, 
omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and there's others. As far as I can tell, and maybe some of you uh, might could enlighten me later if, if I missed one, but as Brother Miller, as far as I can tell, I cannot, Brandon Buford, hum, human Brandon Buford, I cannot be omnipresent. And I sure wish I could be. Not just as pastor, because sometimes I need to be several places at once, but can you imagine, Brother Bob, if I could be fishing and hunting turkey at the same time? I can't be omnipresent. I can't be omniscient, Brother Lee. I I don't know everything. I I cannot know all things. I cannot be omnipowerful. I don't have all the power. I cannot be those attributes of God. But it seems that there are two attributes of God that he says, I want to give to my people. The first attribute is love. God is love. And then it, I mean, I don't have time to get into it. That's a whole other sermon in itself. But, but if you don't know that you and I ought to have that attribute of God, then, then you need to get back in your Bible and read a little bit. But the second attribute of God that somewhere, somehow, he in his infinite knowledge says, I'm going to let you be a little bit like God, and that is the attribute of holiness. If God is love and God is holy, then he also looks at you and I, and he says to you and I, you need to be love and you need to be holy. Why? Because to God, holiness is beautiful. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11 says this. I know you already read it, but let me read it in the context of holiness is beautiful. Who is like you, God, majestic in holiness. And then 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 28. And I'm reading English Standard Version. If you've got the King James, you'll see a, a, a common phrase that's in the King James. And it's, it, it goes several places in the Bible that we're going to read. 1 Chronicles 16 And 28, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering, come before him. And here it is, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. If you have a King James Version Bible, it probably says, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. God looks at holiness as something beautiful. That same phrase is echoed in Psalms 29, verse 1 through 4. Ascribe to the Lord. Give to the Lord. So who, who has a King James Version out right now? Somebody have a King James Version out? Brother Harvey, what does that first word in Psalms 29 verse 1 say? Okay. Turn to, turn to Psalms 29 verse 1 and, and look there. Because uh, English Standard says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. In the beauty of holiness. Is everybody with me? It's beautiful. What's that first word in Psalms 29.1? Give unto the Lord. Now understand, we don't, we can't give to the Lord any more power. We can't give to the Lord any more strength. We can't give to the Lord those things. He's already that. But what it means is recognize, uh, 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 see him in his glory, ascribe to him, explain uh, him that, that this is who he is is. Psalms 96 and verse 9 says worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. That's that's three or four verses that say holiness is beautiful to the Lord. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. But there is something else that I, I cannot escape and 
I, I, I've told you the, the, the practical, the, the proper meaning of holiness. It, it's to be set apart. It's to be sanctified. It's to be be brought, called from the Lord, called into his service, set apart unto him, uh, separate from the world, separate from the sin. But there is another understanding that, that, that you need to understand what holiness is. And I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. To God, holiness is wholeness. You say, well, what does that mean, Pastor? And, and to be honest, I've, I've been thinking about this for, for months now. I've, I've been working on this. I've been, I've been just dying to preach this. And we had Youth Week get in the way of this. And we had Brother Sam Emery get in the way of this. And now I finally get to preach it. I can't wait to preach it. And I've, I've been saying, God, I, I know it's there, that there is a wholeness and holiness. And to be honest, I've read the Bible through many times. But one of the things I like about the Bible is sometimes I'll not catch something, but I catch it the next time I read it. Or I'll catch it the next time I read it. Can I bring your attention? And if you have a Bible, I need you to bring it out. If you've got a phone, I need you to pull it out. I need every one of you that possibly can to make sure you've got 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 in your hand. If you can highlight it in your Bible, if you can write beside it in your Bible, if you can highlight it on your phone, whatever it is, send yourself a text message to go get your Bible when you're home and do it. This is one of the most clearest definitions of holiness that you could ever find in the Bible, and I want to break it down. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and body, or soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Did you catch it? Whole body, whole soul, whole mind. It's wholeness. There's a couple things you got to see here. I know I'm teaching, but I hope you grab a hold of this. There's a few things here in this verse you need to see. Number one, it's God himself that first sanctifies you. Sanctification is being set apart for God's exclusive use. And it's God that first calls you. In fact, in my study, I found that there's actually three types of sanctification. And I want you to listen carefully to this. There's positional sanctification, practical sanctification, and perfect sanctification. Sanctification is being set apart for God's exclusive use. First off, Hebrews 10 and 10. That, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Easter celebrates the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that I could even attempt to come into God's presence. You remember the, I mean, we, we, we did it. You remember the tabernacle plan? You remember all the different levels of that? You remember how you couldn't get close to God? But then when Jesus died and drew his last breath and said, It is finished and the veil with the temple was rent from top to bottom and you and I had access into the presence of God and he was calling you into his presence and he was calling you for a purpose and he said, I'm setting you apart. It starts with God. He's made you He's made you righteous. He's justified you, made it as if you've just as never, never sinned. So very simply, positional sanctification is I'm in this position because of him. That's first. Second is practical sanctification. 
2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. I am so thankful that God allowed there to be a sacrifice that brings me into his presence. I'm thankful that he, I'm thankful I repented of my sins and was baptized in Jesus' name for the remission, the removal of my sins. I'm glad I've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with that evidence of speaking in other tongues. That makes me a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He put me in that position. But he doesn't just say, well, once saved, always saved. Just do whatever you want to do. It's good. I'm speaking as if, I mean, there's people here that do this. I I know, I know you. You you don't do this. But if if you by any chance believe that God just saves you and you can do whatever you want to do after that, you're about as dumb as you can be because it's the exact same thing as getting married before God himself and looking your spouse in the eye and say, I promise to love you in sickness and in health, and then you go off and have an affair and you expect your wife to still love you. It don't work that way. You have to work on a marriage. You have to work on a relationship. And yes, God puts you in the position, but then he says, what are you going to do about it? And Paul tells us what we ought to do about it. Cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. God changed us. We have to do our very best to stay in that changed state. And then, so, so uh, positional sanctification, practical sanctification, and the third is perfect sanctification because 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 says this Beloved, we are all God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, that's that second coming, when He appears, we shall be like. Him, because we shall see him as he is. God's power, God's uh, uh, salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ put us in the position. And then because we will live a life, a holy life, it brings us to the place when the trumpet sounds that we'll suddenly have perfect sanctification. We'll see him as he is and we will be like him. Be holy for I am holy. So that's the first part. But now, let's look at this second. Our holiness is wholeness. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know the word whole only is in front of spirit, but the understanding is that it's your whole spirit, your whole body, and your whole soul. You can include your mind in that. It's, it's, It's all there. I find it very interesting when I read that, Sister Sorrels, because, see, here, here's, how, here's what happens. If you'll start reading and studying the Bible, and I know so many of you do, and, and some of you, you're, you're, this is your year that you've been just putting yourself in it. Here's what happens. The Bible says that he will, he will bring to your mind those things that you've read. You may not even think about it, but then all of a sudden you read a verse like this. I really hope that your mind has already made this connection. But if, if, if Paul says that we've got to allow our whole spirit, our whole soul, and our whole body to be kept blameless, it's interesting because, Sister Saul, it links to the greatest commandment. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Verse 5, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Matthew 22, verse 34, a lawyer asks a question to test him. What's the greatest commandment of the law, Jesus? Tell me about it. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The second is you'll love your neighbor as yourself. On those two uh, commandments, hinge or depend all of the law and the prophets. So listen to me. Not only do we love him with our heart, soul, mind. Not only do we love him with our heart, soul, and spirit. But you have to submit those exact same parts to God in holiness and sanctification. You cannot say with your mind alone, I love God. Have you submitted your mind to him in holiness? You cannot say with your body, I love the Lord with my, with my life and with my body, but have you also submitted said life and body to him in its completeness? You cannot say, I love you with my soul, until you have allowed your soul to be submitted to him in all holiness and sanctification. Here's the definition. Are you ready? If it's our whole soul, if it's our whole body, if it's our whole mind, then there cannot be anything left for anyone or anybody. Our whole mind, our whole soul, our whole body belongs to God, and he said it must be blameless, it must be holy. It's all to Jesus I surrender, and none left for the devil, none left for the world, or none left for my carnal self. All to Jesus. For those of you that are new marriage retreat, I want to say it was Thursday night. I, I believe it was, but you, you would have heard an incredible, in the middle of a, of, a, of, a, of teaching on marriage, you would have heard an incredible diatribe on holiness from Brother Michael Lindsay. And I'm telling you, I was writing as fast as my little fountain pen could scribble in my book. Sister Miller, y'all were there. I don't know if you remember it. But, but let me just kind of pull from it a little bit. Because he just kind of clarified everything I wanted to say. Remember what we sang about and what we talked about from that explicit? The word explicit does not necessarily mean, uh, you know, somebody's cussing or saying bad language. The, the true definition of explicit means that there is no room for, for, for doubt. You're not beating around the bush. What you say is what you mean. That's what explicit means. And that explicit proclamation of the angels holy 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 we are reminded that God is holy and if God is holy he has called you to be holy and while we can't do everything else that God does we can be holy we've been called to be set apart from God or set apart to God and separated from sin from Satan from this unholy world and from our carnal flesh if holiness is sanctification, if holiness is, is, is uh, uh, being whole, there's another attribute of holiness, and that is holiness is to function within one's intended purpose. See, when God created you, he had a very specific purpose for your life that he intends. So let's back up to creation. Now, those of you who are here with Brother, Brother Emery, he danced all over this. I think it's Sunday night. So go back and listen to it. You're going to see how it all fits together. When God created 
the world. First off, as Brother Emery said, there, there was already a world that existed. We don't know for how long, but there was already a world that was there. There was something there, but it was chaotic, and it was dark, and it was out of order, and it had no purpose. It could not sustain life. I'm not trying to re-preach what Brother Emery said. I'm just trying to get us all on the same page. But then God creates, and, and creation comes, and watch this. Everything had a purpose. Fish belong in the water. Birds, for the most part, belong in the sky. Trees belong on the land. Everything had a purpose. And when he created it, he created it wholly. He created it in wholeness. He created it in completeness. And he said, it is good. You with me? If you get something out of order, if you get something out of place, if you allow something that God created to be used in an improper manner, it becomes unholy. So let me give you some practical holiness. In the beginning, God created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. And the image of God meant they were to be holy as well. Eve was called, and the, and, and the word is help me. Eve was called to be a helpmate or a helpmeet to Adam. And, and this is not a subordinate. This is not a second in command. It literally means that what Adam could not do, whether physically or mentally, Eve was capable. And if you can think of a puzzle piece, they perfectly fit together and they work together and they're in order. It's holy. Adam and Eve. Male and female, they were called to fit, each with a purpose, each with a plan, each designed by God. Now, let me give you a side note. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, in the curses that God gave after sin has been introduced, he says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, and I paraphrase, woman, you're going to want to control your husband, but he will rule over you. This is not the picture of what God intended. Is everybody with me? I, I know we're talking about holiness, but let me talk about marriage for a second. And so this is the curse. The curse of sin is, is husband and wife and male and female. Instead of trying to work together, you're going to be fighting and fussing and cussing and, and, and you're going to want to, uh, you know, lady, you're going to want to rule and your husband's going to take control over you. And that's not the model of marriage. That's the curse. But holy matrimony is what happens when we try to leave the curse behind and get back into the model that God designed, holy matrimony. Marriage is a holy thing because each becomes separated from all others, from all things, from, from everybody else, and they come together and they're separated unto each other. It's in order, it's wholeness, and it's holy. Holy matrimony. Marriage ought to go back and be a vision of what it was in the garden. Husband and wife working together. Husband and wife fitting together like a puzzle piece. Husband and wife uh, 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 moving and, 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 and if you will, it's almost the dance. Everyone moving according to the plan. But if you allow one or two of the spouses to get out of order, marriage becomes unholy. If that man who's called by virtue of holy matrimony, 
if that man who has been who 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 said and should have said in front of the preacher in those vows, I separate myself from all others, and to you alone I be true. If that man gets out of order and and says, you know what, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go over here and 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself to another. No longer am I separated to my wife, but I'm gonna come over here. That marriage becomes out of order and things happen. And you say, Pastor, how in the world are you preaching about marriage? when it comes to holiness. Here's why. Because marriage is a picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the bridegroom. The church, us, is the bride. If I can get you to see it in the natural, then I can get you to see it in the spiritual. Jesus has called us to be separated unto him, his alone, and separated from all others. Because I'm holy. Now I could I could spend a lot of time and I could go through every verse in the Bible and I could talk to you about standards. I could talk to you about ways we dress and look. But can, can I just help you out? The reason I believe that there should be a distinction in the dress of a lady and the dress of a man is not just simply because Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5 tells us men don't put on women's clothes and men don't put on... Or, Men don't put on women's clothes and women put on men's clothes. And I could go and I could break that down and I could give you a Bible study for three hours on just that one verse. But here's where it goes back to God. God created man and woman. And he created them in distinction of gender. And he put them in a place. And he said, man, you are man and you can't cross over the lines of being a woman because that would be unholy. And woman, you've been created as a lady. And God put you in the right place. And he knew exactly what he was doing. And you can't cross over the lines into being a man. And I never thought we'd get to the day here in 2019 where not only do they wear each other's clothes, but they try to change their bodies to be like the other gender. And God said, that's not holy and if I'm going to be holy unto him the Bible says my whole life my whole body my whole mind my whole soul needs to be holy unto him and so how I dress is going to be important I could talk to you about holiness and speech I, I, I could read to you all of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 put off your old self belongs to your former manner of life be renewed in the spirit of your mind Put on your new self, create in likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Quit lying. Speak truth to each neighbor. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, on your anger. Don't give opportunity to the devil. Don't steal. Rather labor. Don't let any corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away in all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God forgave you. All of those. Why? Because my whole life, my whole body, my whole mind, my whole spirit has been separated unto God I can't I mean li listen to me very carefully I'm, I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture and, and the problem is my notes have run out so brother Joey I just literally did not have time to write everything that was in my mind down on paper I tried so, so now we're just going to kind of let God walk I don't have no more notes so this can either be dangerous or we can just let God but whole body look at your neighbor and say whole body Here's what that means. You ready? Bible says, especially to us men, lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubt. 
Some of us got that right. But whole body says it's not just the hands, Brother Dakota. It's the mouth too. And the Bible says that a, a, a spring cannot give, both, give forth both bitter water and sweet water. You cannot with your, with your hands worship God and then turn around on Monday and curse and cuss and slander and lie and cheat and let your mouth go. Bible says whole body. We cannot pick and choose what parts of our body we want to be holy. I'm not trying to be crude. I'm not trying to be, be ignorant. I'm just trying to get you to understand. We don't get to pick and choose what part of our lives are holy. It's whole mind. It's whole body. It's whole spirit in holiness. I can't say, well, I lift up holy hands and I've made sure I'm not cussing. But, 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 Brother Sam, we also have to give our eyes. Now, I grew up, and, 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 and some of you, you've, you've been that way. It's kind of a, uh, if you will, a traditional stance of the United Pentecost Church International. And that is way back in the, in the, in the 50s, early 50s, there, there was a, a statement that, was, that became part of our Articles of Faith in, a, in our organization. And, and they, they preached against television. And so there's a, I, I have grown up my entire life and never owned a television. I didn't watch television, tele, you know, all that. And, and I could say, well, hey, look, I, I made it, brother. Brother, uh, what's your name, Jared? I say, brother, Jared, I made it. I don't have television in my home. But that's only putting part of my eyes into holiness, if you will. Because I could go to the bookstore. I love to read. I'd go, to, I'd go every day at school, especially in high school. Uh, I set records in, in grade school for books read. I mean, I busted it, blew it out of the water. What you do when you don't have TV and no Nintendo and no Internet and no nothing. But, but then in high school, I, I would go and I, I, would, I would get off the bus. I would run to the library. I would, I would get a novel. Um, I, I really like uh, Michael Crichton, Jurassic Park and, and all those. I'd read a lot of those. And then there were others I had, but there was, there was one particular author that I loved to read. I'm telling you, he's the most incredible author. But, and, and I would get it, and, and Brother, brother uh, Joe, I would read that book. It'd be three, 400 pages. I'd read it all through school, behind my math book and all that. I'd complete my work as fast as I could so that I could read my novel and the rest of the time. I'd read it on the bus home. I'd read it at home. In fact, I'm probably the only kid who got grounded and spankings because I read too much. I read every waking moment, and most times by that next morning, I could go and replace that 300, 400-page book and get another book. I didn't have a TV. I could stand on that and shout, I don't have TV, yay. But that author, he could take three pages that had really nothing to do with the story. And he could write in that novel form the most graphic sexual scenes you can imagine. And this well-conceived imagination that was birthed on reading could see it in all of its glory. What happened was I had not given the wholeness of my eyes to holiness. I could say, well, I don't do this. But the Bible doesn't talk about TV. The Bible doesn't talk about Internet. The Bible doesn't talk about books. The Bible doesn't talk about common books. This is what the Bible says. I will set no unclean thing before my eyes. It's 
wholeness. Let me read to you Psalms chapter 101 if I could. It's a great way to just see a lot of this in, in its place. I, I could walk down so many ways. Uh, I, I could try to dance on every standard, if you will, that may uh, be around, but I'm trying to put within your heart why holiness is important. First off, it's important because God is holy. And he said, be ye holy for I am holy. So our ultimate goal is to be like him. And I want to be like him completely. What I say, what I do, what I wear, what I view, what I speak, where I go. David began to think about this and he said, I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I'll make music. David was good at that. On the back side of a desert, he could pick up his harp or lyre or whatever it was that he would play. And he said, I'll make music. But it's that verse 2. He said, I will ponder the way that is blameless. I'll ponder that way of holiness. When will you come to me? Now I want you to watch how he begins to lay out his life. He says, I will walk with integrity of heart within mine house. If you can walk with integrity and holiness within the confines of your own house, then you will walk with holiness and integrity in the confines of this world, in the confines of your church. There's a lot of people, they can be holy at church, but when they go home and no one's watching. David said, I'll walk with integrity when no one sees because it's my whole mind my whole spirit, my whole soul that is blindness. I mean that is blameless. Right? I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. King James says any unclean thing. I will hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. David said I don't even want to know the evil. I, I don't need to know about what other people are doing. I don't want to know all that. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I'll destroy. Don't, don't talk to me in slander. Don't gossip to me. I don't, that's not for my ears to hear. My ears belong to God and they need to be holy. I haven't talked about that, but I can talk about what you listen to. Whether it's music or whether it's conversation, whatever goes in here. He said, I, I don't want that. You got a haughty look and an arrogant heart. I'm not going to endure you. Go away. Stay away from me. Because I need to be holy. I'll look, upon, I'll, I'll look with favor on the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Day, morning by morning, I will destroy the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. David said, I'm doing my very best to be holy. Wholeness. That every part of me is blameless before the Lord. I don't do things because, you know, I have not, I've decided now at 39 years old, I'm not living my life because mom or dad told me this or even my, my church told me this. I live my life because I want to be blameless before the Lord. When that trumpet sounds, I don't think the Lord is going to judge us on a curve. 
I don't think he's going to say, well, you did everything good except your ears. If you'd have just allowed your ears to be holy. Here's why. Because he's going to walk us back to that verse in Thessalonians that says that you present your whole body, whole mind, whole soul, blameless unto the Lord. What does that take? I could give you some places to start. I, I, could, I could stand and I could give you a benchmark, if you will. But at the end of the day, you have to be holy for yourself. That's why Jesus said, if your eye offends you, cut it out. Why did he say that? He said, I'd rather you go to heaven with one eye or no eyes. But in reality, what would be far better is for you to control what goes in your eyes. But if you can't control it, gouge them out, throw them away. Because God would rather you walk into heaven without your eyes, but walk into heaven with your spirit and soul whole, than to have your body whole, but not your soul. Holiness matters to God. And when you get out of place, when your life gets out of place, it becomes unholy. So what you have to do is judge your life within the confines of your heart, mind, soul, body, all of that being holy unto the Lord. And you have to judge and you have to say, is, am I being holy? Am I, am I becoming more like Him? Am I being separated unto Him and separated from the, 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 the evil of the world and of Satan and of my carnal fleshly desires? You alone have to judge your life. Now there's, like I said, there, there's things, there's benchmarks I can help you with. And I do. Across this pulpit, there's benchmarks I can help you with. But it boils down to this, be holy for I am holy. Would you stand today? Holiness starts with God. It's God that imputeth. It's Romans that, that says God imputeth his righteousness unto you. You don't have any righteousness. In fact, the Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags. And so it is that there is a place at salvation where God puts into your spiritual bank account righteousness that you didn't deserve. But that cannot be where it ends, my friend. For we already read that that's positional sanctification. But practical sanctification is I present my body blameless. I'm doing my part to, to, to make sure that I, I'm keeping that, that account clean. I've got to be the one that says I don't go there. I have to be the one that says I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to entertain that thought. I'm not going to entertain those evil people. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to say that. I have to be the one that holds myself blameless. So that one day, one day, I will see him as he is and become like him. Would you close your eyes for a moment? I know I've taught. I know it's been deep. I understand all of that. But now I'm asking that you and God have a conversation. And you begin to decide where you are in your life, where you are in your walk. And would you let the verses in the word of God that I have spoke to you today begin to speak very loud in Jesus' name.